Welcome back. We're in Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. Let's go. Verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule over them with a rod of iron. So if we look at that rod of iron, let's look at Revelation 2.27 that we studied previously. It says, He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. And when when God sets up his kingdom on earth, the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign with Jesus and the church on earth, there'll be perfect justice. He will rule with a rod of iron. We see that from Psalm 2, 8 and 9, which says, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And where is my verse? There it is. And then it goes on, verse six, the end of verse 15 says, He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And there is, God's vengeance is fierce. And that's one reason why we don't need to take things into our own hands. We don't need to get mad or get even with the person. We just need to trust that God will take vengeance. If someone wronged us and they're an unbeliever, there will be consequences for that. If someone hurts us, he wants us to forgive and move on. That person is only truly forgiven if that person asks Jesus for forgiveness. Us forgiving them make it, doesn't make them forgiven. It just makes us able to move on with our lives so that we can forget about it because almost everybody, probably everybody listening to this has been hurt by someone in their life. Some of us have been hurt devastatingly by someone in their life, uh, mentally, physically, financially. And it may be hard to forgive that person, but I would encourage you to forgive that person or persons and move on. Your forgiveness doesn't get them into heaven. They've got to ask Jesus for forgiveness. But what your forgiveness does is it just says, you know what, I'm washing my hands of this. I'm walking away because I don't want to live in the past. Because you know where the devil wants you to live. He wants you to live in the past, where the past is riddled with guilt and regret and unforgiveness. And the devil also wants you to live in the future, which is, which is filled with worry and anxiety and anticipation. He, but God wants us to live right here in the present. That's why he gave it to us. It's a gift, and he wants us to live. And that's where we can have that peace and joy, is by living in the present, but understanding that the future for a believer is certain. And no matter what we go through on life, in this life, we will wake up. When we take our last breath on earth, we will wake up and take our next breath in heaven. And there'll be no more tears, no more fears, no, you know, all joy. It's going to be incredible, but you got to be forgiven by Jesus in order to get there. So God will have wrath on those who reject him, who have rebelled against him in this, in this earth, this creation that has been affected by uh, sin um, from starting beginning with Adam and Eve and going all the way through us today. That's why we have death, illness, uh, disease, hurricanes, all sorts of problems. Absent sin, none of those would have been there. Right, we had the perfect weather conditions. You basically had like paradise on earth everywhere, uh, like Hawaii or something like that, and just amazing. But now we have hurricanes and tornadoes and floods and all sorts of stuff. Verse sixteen, and he had on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings 
and Lord of Lords. So the question we have to ask ourselves, the question that you need to ask yourself right now is, do you believe that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Meaning he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through him. That's John 14, 6. There is no other way. There, you know, a lot of people say all roads lead to one place. It doesn't make sense. As it's the most illogical statement perhaps ever made. Because if Judaism is right, then Islam cannot be right. If Islam is right, then Christianity cannot be right. If Christianity is right, then Mormonism cannot be right. If Mormonism is right, then Hinduism cannot be right. So one is right, and it's just simple math. Um, and he's demonstrated himself. He's, he's shown us that he is king of kings and lord of lords. And he, when he returns, it'll, it'll be written on him. Um, and it'll say king of king and lord of lords, very literally. And then we get to verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. So this is John telling the vision of an angel standing in the sun and crying with a loud voice, saying to all the birds. Who is he saying this to? Birds. Is that literal or figurative? Yes, it's actually literal birds. The fly in the midst of heaven, so they're listening. The birds are listening to this angel, and the angel speaks to him and says, "Come and gather together for the supper of the great God." And they listen, and they do exactly what he says. They they accept the invitation essentially, and they come to the supper of the great God. Now, what is this? So this is the final battle in the war of Armageddon. From the east, you'll have a group of two hundred million strong. From the south, you'll have a group uh, from areas such as Africa and the Arab nations. From the north, you'll have a group coming down. And from the west, you'll have the Antichrist attacking uh, Jerusalem. So remember, the Antichrist had sent an army to Bozer Petra. They got destroyed uh, a couple days before this by Jesus, or maybe a day before it. And now they're marching, and the rest of his army was attacking from the western side of Jerusalem towards the east. Jesus comes from the, uh, the east, and um, this is that, that final battle. And they, they want to fight each other. They want to take down uh, Jerusalem, and God just wipes them out clean. So let's look at, it says, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and of the flesh and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. So if we think about flesh, it says that you may eat the flesh of kings. This should remind us that we are fleshly and demonstrate to us just how disgusting the deeds of the flesh are to God. Right, so many people say, "Look at this good deed I did. Look, I built, I, I put a hundred million dollars towards this hospital, towards this, you know, youth center." And they're like, "Like, look at me pounding their chest. Look at their deeds." And God's like, "Your name's on the building. You did a bunch of public relations. You went on television. You were in newspaper. You got all the accolades. You got all the glory. How much of that glory did you give to God for giving you everything 
your mind, your ability, your physicality, your finances and everything. How much how much did you tell people about Jesus? None. Right? So the deeds of the flesh are awful. They're disgusting and there will be zero reward for them in heaven. Only the things that were, are motivated by Jesus uh, and for Jesus and for the glory of Jesus, those are the only things that we'll get any reward for in heaven. That's why God says, basically, take all your trophies, take everything that you think is special on earth and just throw them at the Lord's feet because they're just dirty rags. They're nothing. Take a Super Bowl ring, nothing. Take a winning a presidency, nothing. None of that matters. It's all dirty rags. What matters is when you do something that's motivated for the glory of God and honors God and tells people about God, that's what you'll be rewarded for. So these people who are living in their fresh flesh, which is these unbelievers, the ones who reject God, they may not even hate God. They may say they love God, but they have chosen, chosen, get this, they have chosen to reject the word of God. They have chosen to reject Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus as their Lord and Savior. There is one way. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to me, no one gets to the Father except by me. So he calls us, he gives us this word, he wants us to read this. So if you're listening and you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior before, now would be a great time to do that. Because this is what it looks like for people who reject Christ as their Savior. Here these unbelievers are literally eaten by birds. Wow, right? Absolutely, literally going to happen. Verse 19, and I saw the beast and uh, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. So if we go to Zechariah 14, it'll help us understand this. The day of the Lord refers to the final siege of Jerusalem by the nations, but God will intervene. Jesus will stand on the Mount of Olives. The saints will be with him. He will make a way of escape. Day and night will be the same, but then light will come in the, in the evening. There will be cosmic changes. Then living waters will flow. Um, oh, where does my spot go? Half to the Dead Sea, bringing it back to life with vibrant fish and surroundings. Think about that. The Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because it has no outlet. And so it there's this huge salt content and none of the sea life can survive well it's going to change and these waters are going to flow differently and you know from the god is the living water he is our water what will sustain us forever and the waters that will flow beneath his feet essentially will bring that dead sea back to life with vibrant fish and surroundings all the lush vegetation that will go along with it on the the banks of the uh, the river. Jesus will be the king of the earth, acknowledged as the only true God. The land surrounding Jerusalem will be turned into a plain, and Jerusalem will be elevated. Jerusalem will finally have uh, not have to worry about the enemies or being attacked. The Feast of the Tabernacles will be honored with people making an annual trip to Jerusalem to worship Jesus the king. Some will not make the annual trip, and the, their punishment will be dropped. I'm going to read some of Zechariah 14 so you see where we get this from. Zechariah 14.1 Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. Right, So God coordinates this battle against Jerusalem. 
It says the city shall be taken. Remember that they kill, uh, we read about this, that they kill two-thirds of the Jewish people in Jerusalem. Only a third of them survive and call on Jesus and cry out for his name. And then the nation of Israel is uh, saved at that moment. Uh, all of the living Jews accepted Jesus at the same exact time. And that was also a condition before Jesus would come back, uh, which all of this is taking place in the future. The house rifled and the woman ravished, women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Right? So a lot of people, I think, incorrectly believe that when Jesus comes back, he goes straight to the Mount of Olives. Uh, there's better evidence that he first goes to Petra and um, alleviates the pressure there by destroying the armies of Satan around Petra and uh, leads those Jew uh, Jewish people from Petra over to Jerusalem. And then will come him uh, setting his foot on the standing on the Mount of Olives. And it says, which faces Jerusalem uh, on the east and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two. From east to west, making a very large valley, half of the mountain shall be, shall move towards the north and half of it toward the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley. So this is the Jewish people that are remaining, that one-third from Jerusalem heading east. And it says, flee uh, through my mountain valley. Well, that's the valley that Jesus will create when he stands on the Mount of Olives and it splits in two, north to south. From the uh, mountain valley shall reach to us all. Yes, you shall flee. As you fled from the earthquake in those days of Uzziah, king of Judah, thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. So the saints are going to come back with Jesus. It shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. So God knows this particular day, just like a bride in the, um, back in the days didn't know when her groom was actually coming. She, you know, Today, brides plan their wedding 6, 12 18 months in advance. They know exactly the day. Back then, they didn't. The bride knew a general time, but didn't know the exact day or time that the groom would come. And uh, that's similar to Jesus, who is the groom, and we, the church, are, uh, are the bride. And, um, well, that's, that's actually going back to the rapture, but we also won't so the rapture, we won't know the exact time, and that's that's intentional because he wants us to live for the moment, not for a specific point in time. And um, but God knows exactly in the future. Well, you'll know the tribulation clock because it'll be seven years from the signing of the covenant with the Pact of Israel. Israel, so those people would know the time. But we, since we don't know when the Pact with Israel at the beginning of the tribulation is signed today, presently we have no idea to know when this is going to be. So it's unknown, but it will be dark. Um, and God will appear from the sky and go to Petra and everybody will see him. Uh, it will be unmistakable. And in verse 8, In that day it shall be that living waters shall flow, flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. And both summer and winter it shall occur. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. So God will rule the earth from uh, the center point of the earth, of Jerusalem. The topography of the earth will be completely different. Um, we'll study that some more here in a little bit in uh, chapter 20. But the topography will be completely different, remember, because all the mountains and the tribulation will be 
flattened. And here he'll come back and uh, essentially uh, elevate Jerusalem and there'll be plains around it. And there'll be these incredible uh, valleys flowing into the Dead Sea, which will no longer be the dead, but thriving at that point in time. So we're seeing a lot going on. It's going to be unbelievable to come back with Jesus and see all this. Lord, we thank you for this day, for this time. Help us in our study of Revelation. Help us to have a hunger to study your word, a thirst, Lord, to keep coming back, to know that you're you're the living water, you're the bread of life. Help us to place our faith, our trust in you. We need you, Lord. We need you to help us, and we call upon you, and help us to glorify you. May we live for that. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to Daily Verse by Verse. We want you to be prepared in season and out of season to study the whole counsel of God so that you can share with people who Jesus is through your actions so that you have the right to tell them who Jesus is so that they can come to know Jesus or come to know Jesus better. We strongly encourage you to share this message, this podcast on your social media, Facebook, Instagram, message, email someone who you think could benefit from it. It's an easy way for you to go out and witness to the world just by sharing this podcast. We hope you'll join us tomorrow. Have a wonderful day.